Hello, and thank you for joining us for another week of exploring all the best in Oklahoma on the Oklahoma Today podcast. This week, we'll hear from ace photographer and essayist Shane Bevel about his recent piece about hunting dogs in our outside issue. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Oklahoma Today podcast is brought to you by OVAC, the Oklahoma Visual Arts Coalition, which presents Momentum 2022 on March 25th through the 27th in Oklahoma City. Momentum annually features Oklahoma artists ages 30 and years and younger working in diverse media. The exhibition presents a diversified look at young artistic talent in Oklahoma. Visit ovac-ok.org for more information. And uh, now let's go to our question of the week. We asked you, what is your favorite place in Oklahoma to get back to nature? First up this week is Editor-in-Chief Nathan Gunner. Um, I mean, state parks. All of them, kind of. I'm especially partial to Roman Nose uh, and Red Rock Canyon because they're both very close to where I grew up. Um, great places to hike. Great places to just kind of be in fresh air. Yeah. Right. So Red Rock Canyon, Roman Nose State Park, those are my two favorites. All right. Sure. Uh, managing editor Carly Barra is actually out this week. Yes. Uh, we hope getting back to nature. Uh, <laughs> and maybe she'll be able to share her answer when she comes uh, back. But, but uh, photo editor Megan Rossman is here, and we will force her to answer. Um, well... I like our state parks, but I, you know, don't, they're not immediately available to me. Um, so I just go outside where I can. <laughs> I wish, I, I'm hoping this is the year that I discover Will Rogers Park. Um, mm. I still have never been there, even though it looks beautiful. really nice. Oh, yeah. Man. It's a gorgeous park. Um, they got all those fairy houses. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that I would like it. Stuff. It looks pretty from the street, so yeah. I need to actually stop there. I mean, I live near Edgemere Park, but that's... you're the one who originally inspired uh, me to visit Martin Park. Oh uh, yeah, I like Martin about Park. I bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah, there are a few parks you can go to here in Oklahoma City. So I, um, yeah, I usually just try to go outside. Nice. Um, that's my story. Outside is your favorite place to commune with nature, I think. Yes. That makes a weird amount of sense. It's, yeah, no, I I would like. You guys are going to be so disappointed when we get to my answer about the <laughs> forest wallpaper <laughs> on the old bathroom. Uh, I just like to go in there and just stay. Uh, ben, research editor Ben Lucian, what's your answer? There's, there's so many that I could say, um, but because it's spring, it's spring break while, while we're recording this right now, and... Uh, for many years, my family went to Greenleaf State Park. Oh, that's a nice park. For spring break. Um, I have a lot of great memories out there. So I am going to uh, go, go say Greenleaf. Uh, just, we did a lot of fishing. Uh, some great trails out there that we hiked. Um, we probably uh, fed animals that <laughs> we weren't supposed to. But uh, oh, we uh, and we took plaster casts of uh, animal tracks. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we had. A I lot always of wanted fun to do that there. when I was a kid. Never got to. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, all right. Uh, my answer is uh, in a pinch. Early Wine Park. That's uh, a good park. I love Early Wine. Yeah. Um, it's it's here in Oklahoma City. It's not too far from where uh, my fiance lives, and that's where we go for our walks. Uh, but also, I, I'm actually going for a walk tomorrow night. My mom and I are going to go walk in Early Wine Park uh, after so work. It, it's really and and so many people in the neighborhood use that for those walks because it's a really huge. Uh, it's a mile and a half track. I yes. mean, it's a big yeah. Um, you can really get and some it, steps in. Out and there. it goes both ways, mm-hmm. so there's always you know there's some good cross traffic and you get to see lots of people out there. Uh, I would also like to great golf course too, by the way. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, really good. 
Um, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, the River of Love cabins down in uh, Vacaville, where I I recently communing with nature. Yes, uh, so so great. And really, the key was getting somewhere where cell service does not work. That's and nice. it really uh-huh. it, it's it's it freaks you out right at first, and you're like ah, and then all of a sudden you're like, no built-in excuse. I couldn't exactly. possibly exactly. Yeah. I can't do anything. Yeah. There's no there's no internet. Yeah, um, uh-huh. yeah. It was it was a good time. We had <laughs> so so many uh, great answers this week. Uh, Lisa McCarter Vinson said, "Definitely Broken Bow. We love to kayak there and spend time in a cabin." Yep. Um, uh, this was interesting to me. We had two different people, uh, and I don't know if they're related or not. Stanley Bird Creek said, we have 160 acres. I go there and just sit and listen to nature's quietness in the mm. woods. Um, followed by Julie Garrison, who said, home on 160 acres. And I guess I started um, wondering, do we sell things by the 160? Is that a normal? Yeah. 160 acres yeah. is just normal? Okay. Yeah. That's like a really normal yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I just was like, amount I was like, of land 160? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's you, what is it, a quarter of a section? Is 160 acres? I don't know. Something like that. So somebody. No one has ever sold me any acreage. Somebody email me and tell me. Okay. But it's a, yeah, like, it's. it's okay, teapot at travelok.com. It's like a six pack of beer. 160, <laughs> seriously, like okay. 160 acres of land. All right. Uh, Connie Stillwell said, our cabin south of the Arbuckles. Mm. Uh, Stacia Peterson, Wichita Mountains and Beaver's Bend. Lots and lots of folks said Wichita Mountains and Beaver's Bend, obviously. Both really wonderful. great. Yeah. Uh, Dee Moore said, Mount Scott down south and the Salt Plains up north. Good one. Uh, uh, Taylor Page Sutherland said, Elk Mountain in the Lawton uh, Wildlife Refuge. The Lot. That's the Wichita's. Well, I think, the wildlife it was in, I think it's Lawton, in Lawton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, but Elk Mountain is cool. Yeah, uh, Virginia Ingram, Pawnee Bill uh, Ranch and Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, Margaret Miller Adcock said the Quartz Mountain. Uh, Rose Ann Browning said Robbers Cave, and Don Stagner uh, said Martin Nature Park Center in Northwest Oklahoma City. Good um, answer. Very, very. Uh, also, uh, Robbers Cave opening a new lodge soon. We're excited right. about that. Uh, and then um, uh, Oscar Lotto said, uh, "Downtown Oklahoma City parks next to trees." It's uh, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the Tail Park yes. is a good answer. Yes, yeah. uh, there's Absolutely. anywhere as long as you can get where you just can't see anything man-made for that a hot second. That is very second. nice. Um, yeah. Uh, and one more, D. E. Chandler said, uh, "The Keystone Ancient Forest," which Beautiful. again is a great place to yeah. go to not see things that were built by man. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk to Shane Bevel now. We are very delighted to welcome in the Wizard of March, April, that uh, genius of light and shadow, Mr. Shane Bevel, uh, Tulsa photographer, uh, and it turns out writer extraordinaire. Shane, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I was so delighted with your work in this issue. I mean, it really is kind of the thing, and it's the thing that I heard from everybody that's commented on it so far has been like, oh my gosh, Shane Bevel. Um, for those readers who don't know, our outside issue is out right now, complete with cover and tons of photography from, from Mr. Shane. Um, Shane, talk to us a little bit about some of the stories you worked on for this, for this issue, because this is not only the, you've been photographing for Oklahoma today for a really long time, but this is your first writing assignment. So how was that? Yeah, I think it is. It's not my first writing assignment ever, but it's certainly for us yeah. for Oklahoma today. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I only really write about things that, um, that I enjoy. I mean, I, I don't, I don't take writing assignments for just anything. And a lot of times that's bird dogs and, um, <laughs> uh, and, and outdoor um, exploits. So 
uh, you asked me to write a, an essay about um, owning bird dogs and living with bird dogs. And that's something I've done for quite a while. And, and um, uh, it's a, a family affair for us. They're in the house and, and they're all over. And um, as a matter of fact, I had to text my wife just before this to tell her to keep them inside so that we didn't hear them bark the entire time. Uh, <laughs> it's a different thing to live with them. You mentioned you mentioned in the essay too that uh, we're coming up kind of in the time of year when it's it's a little more challenging. A lot of people who have bird dogs uh, send them send them away, send them to get trained during the warmer months. Um, but you guys keep them around in the house. So what what was the why did you decide to do that? Well, they're part of our family, you know, and and not everybody sends them out, and we send ours out sometimes, but mm -hmm. but we don't send them out um, all the time. So that you know the old. Um, kind of traditional bird dog ownership kind of looked like that. You know, a lot of times people would send them out and board them um, in the summertime and uh, or send them to a trainer or send them north. Um, and for us, you know, they're around and, and uh, summer is um, not always the most fun season to have them around. Uh, spring, you know, they, they are still pretty fit, still have a lot of uh, uh, energy. We try to keep them fit all year, but um, uh, then in summer, they're just, they're, they're hot and they want out and they want in and they want out and they want in. And just like, uh, you know, just like most dogs, um, bird dogs just tend to be a little more, um, uh, insistent. How did you get started? How did you get started with this? I mean, what was your, what was your introduction to this world? So when I was young, my uncle, uh, my family has a place in, in, um, uh, kind of in West Texas. Um, and, uh, uh, my uncle had Springer Spaniels. So we hunted quail over Springer Spaniels, um, which is a flushing dog. Um, and then in college got introduced to pointing dogs, um, which is kind of a whole different world. Um, and, you know, really enjoyed them. And then, um, spent a lot of time traveling for work and changing jobs and living in places where there were no quail and um, didn't have dogs uh, at all for a very long time. And then moved to, to Tulsa, uh, you know, a little more than a decade ago, <clears throat> um, got back into uh, having bird dogs around and, and have had them around ever since. Wow, that's exciting. Um, we actually got to meet one of your dogs. Yeah, yeah, by you. Tulsa. Hey. <laughs> That was a lot of fun. Can you tell us, um, obviously, uh, I just in my very limited experience, I know that shooting, shooting a photograph of a dog much, much, much harder than shooting a photograph of a person. Can you talk about some of the, the challenges that you encounter when you're, when you're, I hate to say, use this phrase, shooting dogs, and you're photographing dogs? Yeah, no, I say shooting. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it, you know, we didn't, I had not photographed, I photographed dogs a lot. Um, I had not photographed um, pointing dogs in the studio ever. Um, and so what we were really wanting um, was dogs on point, um, which is a very uh, unique look. Um, and while we can woe the dogs, we can give them the woe command and they will stand still as though they are on point. It is not... Um, it does not look like they are on point on birds. So we really wanted to recreate that when they are in that mode, they're very tense. All of their muscles stand out. If they're short haired, you can see um, 
yeah. all of their muscles. And, and, um, you know, I think somebody asked me why Bayou was scared because he was shaking and of course oh. he wasn't scared. He was, he was, uh, that's just their reaction. They're yeah. excited. I, yeah, can attest. He was yeah. not afraid. <laughs> no, not afraid. And so um, uh, we tried to kind of come up with a plan. And I worked with uh, Tom Woods, who's featured in uh, uh, Carly's article um, and his portraits in the magazine and is a good friend of mine. And we thought we had a really great plan on how to make all that happen. And uh, we we failed miserably. Uh, it was I don't one think of that's fair. I think the photographs turned out incredible. So I think we, the, we the end result was the success. We worked it out in the end, but there was about an hour um, when it, at the beginning, when we just could not get them to stand on point. I mean, you're, you're bringing dogs in that a lot of those dogs, some of them are house dogs. A lot of them haven't been inside in, in years. They live outdoors in kennels. They're working dogs. And you're bringing them into a studio on uh, slick paper and asking them to point birds um, that are pin raised birds that don't smell the same. And mm -hmm. at the same time, there's all kinds of different smells that they're not used to in the studio. And so um, it was tough. It was tough. We, I, I put together a funny little uh, Instagram post that, you know, kind of pointed out all of the things that uh, we had to have to make it happen. And, and it took us a while, but we, you know, problem solving is everything. We finally figured it out. Absolutely. And I, I, like I said, I think the, I think the end result really was a successful one because those are some really good photos. Um, so. Did you, you know, you kind of were our, our source expert for so much of this, you know, the, the bird dog story, uh, Carly wrote that, but she, this is not a field that she really knew a lot about, but so you kind of were our, our, our go-to guy for a lot of knowledge, but were there things in this process that you learned? Well, how to make a bird dog point inside a photo studio is <laughs> <laughs> the biggest one. That, uh, it's different. Um, yeah, I, you know, I learned something every assignment that I'm on. I, I probably learned a lot more on the fishing assignment than I did on this. Um, you know, I was, I was really kind of um, concentrating on making sure that Carly got everything that she needed for the article and that she got in touch with the right people. Um, you know, I went and spent time with with uh, those two trainers, both of whom I know and are are friends of mine. Um, uh, 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 Tom Woods and Belinda Delaby, and um, so you know, I always, I mean, those those two have been have been training bird dogs. Tom's been training bird dogs for I don't know forty years, and so I always I can't spend any time with them without learning something about bird dogs. It, it just it's always there. That's awesome. Belinda is the same way. Yeah. What, um, in turn, you know, someone, I mean, I, I, even I was like, I want to get a hunting dog, but I'm not going to get one. But, uh, if someone read that article and kind of wanted to get started in this world, where would you sort of lead them? And what would you tell them before they, before they really jumped headfirst into it? You know, I would try to go to a field event. Um, I would try to go to a field trial, either an AKC field trial or American field or, um, NAVDA, which is a, uh, somebody's going to correct me, but I think it's the North American Versatile Hunting Breed Association um, and uh, Hunting Dog Association. And so I, I would get hooked up with one of those groups and I would go and um, spend time with the breeds and figure them out. They all have a different personality. Um, you know, we photographed um, Scout, which is a, a friend of mine's uh, wire-haired pointing Griffon. He's in the magazine. Um, those dogs uh, could not be more polar opposite than my Llewellyn setters. Um, I mean, they are quite happy to uh, 
you know, lay on the ground at your feet uh, and, and um, are much more akin to uh, kind of a lab. Um, you know, my dogs are my companions, but it's a special kind of relationship. It's not, <laughs> it's not for everybody. And um, uh, those dogs are much more like that. There's all kinds of different sizes and, and breeds and temperaments and go to a, an event, a field event where you can see those dogs work. Everybody's always welcome. Um, and, and watch the dogs spend time with them, research them, talk to people that own them, go talk to breeders. You know, almost all dog trainers or breeders will let you come spend time at their kennel, um, watch the dogs, meet the dogs, um, and, and figure out which, um, which breed that you would like first. And then, um, and then go from there. And once you get inside that breed, then, you know, people will be able to, to recommend, um, you know, truly reputable breeders who are, are working to, to do the best for the breed that they can. That's, I was going to ask you about that, about, you know, finding a breeder and, you know, what to look for and what to look for so that, you know, not to go there. <laughs> uh, are there any things that you would tell people just in terms of that, looking for breeders, looking for a dog? You know, it's tough. I mean, a lot of people that, um, oh, you know, maybe are not uh, fans of dog breeders in general have different rules. Well, they have to have this or they have to have this or they have to keep all their dogs inside or they have to have, you know, air conditioned and heated kennels or, mm -hmm. but I know good breeders who um, break all those rules and yet are great to their dogs and good to them um, and take care of them. Um, there are some bad breeders out there. And if you spend enough time talking to people in, in that kind of breed group, you'll, you'll figure out who they are. Um, don't buy a dog on the internet, you know, don't, right. don't, don't look at a website and look at a dog and go, oh, that's a cute puppy. I'm going to buy that puppy. Mm -hmm. Um, cause most reputable breeders, those litters are largely spoken for, uh, long <laughs> before they shoot pictures and post them on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then make sure that you have a breeder that's breeding for what you want. I mean, if you want a setter that's going to be fat and happy and lazy and lay around your house, there are lots of breeders who will breed for that. And, and that's what they want. And they want a dog that works at 50 or 60 yards. And those are great dogs. If you're, if that's what you're looking for, you know, if you are looking for that and expecting that, and you go to, um, you know, say the, the people that kind of breed the dogs that I have that, you know, I mean, Bayou was um, fairly calm in the studio. He's not a calm dog necessarily, but <laughs> he, he will work at a range of, of, you know, three to 400 yards. And my other setter will work at a range of three to 500 yards. So if you don't want to chase a dog, if you don't want to have a dog go on point 300, 400 yards away from you and have to walk to that dog to find birds um, and deal with all that energy at home, then that's not, um, no matter how many national championships or regional championships that line has won, that's not the line for you. Go find another one. Absolutely. Megan, I saw you had a question. Uh, I don't remember what it was now, but that's okay. Um, so, but you also, so in addition to dogs, you also shot this really beautiful story. And pitched, this was yours, it was his idea, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. Did you learn anything, anything new and interesting there? Oh, yeah, the absolutely. Fishing trail, yeah. 
Yeah, so this was the fishing story. Um, you know, the lieutenant governor has made a really big deal out of um, uh, the fishing trail uh, in the state and all the all the opportunities here. And um, I am a, um, uh, a, a half-hearted enthusiast. I like to go fish, um, but I don't. I, I'm I I don't fish constantly. You know, um, uh, <clears throat> and um, so. I, I wanted to explore that and I'm always looking for stories to pitch you guys um, that are timely and are interesting. Um, at the same time, I've been working a lot with uh, an old friend of mine, Kelly Boston, and uh, he had recently come into the freelance world, um, uh, having left a newspaper here in the state as an outdoors reporter. And um, so it all just kind of fell together. And I, I, you know, I did a project for the tourism department with Megan a few years back where we the uh, we wanted to convince people outside the state of Oklahoma that the state of Oklahoma was not flat. And so traveled all around um, and shot a bunch of different landscapes for the tourism department, um, basically saying, hey, I, you know, it's not flat here. And um, so I wanted to do the same thing with water and say, hey, you know, it's not all um, it's not all the same and it's, and it's all super unique, whether it's the species or the look of the place. And so we sat down and kind of hammering out a plan because we couldn't cover the whole fishing trail. There's hundreds of lakes and hundreds of things to do. Uh, but I wanted to show the variance of what you could do here from, you know, uh, you know, small shallow water trout fishing, you know, to trolling for walleye, which I, um, until a few years ago, I had no idea you could catch a walleye in Oklahoma. Hmm. I um I think it did you find I thought it was really cool the way that you guys kind of pitched it as um a place in each of the state's various kind of regions mm -hmm. so that it had a lot of geographic diversity in addition to diversity of landscape and diversity of kinds of fish and all that stuff. Um did you find did you find yourself a new place you're planning on going back to? Um yeah, I probably have to find a new place since Cedar Lake was kind of my place and now I feel like it's going to be covered up with people. <laughs> So yeah, we kind of we kind of put it on the cover. We kind of gave away the cover there. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I you know I really enjoyed uh, I really enjoyed a lot of it. I really enjoyed the blue, um, uh, the Blue River um, was really unique. I I I did I do, a fly fishing story several years ago when we went there. Yeah, um, I do for the trout. I, yeah, primarily fly fish. Um, I I fish a lot of. Uh, of different places, but trout here, I usually go to the lower Illinois or the mountain fork. It's kind of the, the go-to on this side of the state. And, and so to go and fish the blue and to have it be so radically different. And um, I really like unexpected landscapes and, and it is unexpected. I mean, you, you, um, you know, the guide we were with uh, Donovan said it, you know, it, 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 you really are driving across a cow pasture and all of a sudden the bottom drops out and there's this, um, piece of water that that you would never have dreamed would exist in that part of the state. Um, I especially love that you did Canton because I grew up fishing in that lake. I grew up not too far from there. And so that was really exciting. Um, and that's one of the really famous walleye lakes. Yeah. Um, they have a big walleye roundup there every year. But um, one of the cool things I thought about this story too, while you and Kelly were working on it, you got to take your son, Graham, along on some of these. Um, did he kind of, did he already have the bug or did he pick that up on this time or what? Yeah, he, he picked up the bug. Uh, we've been doing a, um, uh, a lot of pond fishing lately, uh, the last few years. He kind of picked up uh, the bug. Um, I can't remember where I took him first, 
uh, probably just a local pond and he, he caught a, a mess of, um, you know, we all start on, on uh, three inch green sunfish and that's what he started on and had a blast. And so got to take him, uh, took him on several of them, um, took him to Cedar Lake with me and um, uh, took him to Canton. Um, and I was trying to think if there was another one we, uh, that he went with us on. I know he didn't go to the blue or ting killer, um, uh, but he went to Cedar and, and Canton. So it was a lot of fun. It was, it was good to have him. Oh, he didn't go down to Southwestern Oklahoma with us down by Lawton. Okay. Uh, I think he was in school at that point, probably. Oh, uh, school schmool fishing. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, he, <laughs> I mean, he's been absent once or twice to go fishing. Yeah. So that happens. Um, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was fun to have him with me and he, um, you know, he's a smart kid and, and enjoys it. And, you know, I said, we got home and, uh, he caught one, um, oh, I think he caught a, uh, a, a striper hybrid at, at Canton and, um, uh, then kind of, he was done. He put the rod away and, uh, then he figured out that he could, uh, man the dip net. And so then he was netting fish for uh, the guy that we were in the boat with um, constantly. And, and it's funny, you know, kids have no, um, uh, kids have no pride of authorship, right? So we got back and, and I said, I told his mom, I said, yeah, he caught a fish, you know, here's a picture of it. And he goes, I caught like 40 fish. And I go, <laughs> no, you just caught one fish. And he goes, no, I caught all those fish with the net. Well, okay, <laughs> sure enough. So, other guy had the rod, but you had the net. You finished, yeah, sure, sure. Technically, yes, that is correct. Um, that's really fun. It's such a it's such a great parent child bonding thing, teaching thing. Like it, it was a huge part of my childhood. I know, so I'm glad to hear your kids are getting to to get and have a part of that too. Um, you talked a little bit about fly fishing. You've done some fly fishing, and I, there's you know there's a zillion different kinds of. I feel like we could do stories for the next two decades about different kinds of fishing. Um, I had some relatives, I mentioned it in my editor's letter, that I had some relatives who did bow fishing down in southwest, southeastern Oklahoma a long time ago. Um, have you, like, have you done much beyond, like, reg just normal rod and reel and fly fishing, or have you tried some of these other forms? Have you been noodling? You know, no, I haven't done any noodling. <laughs> uh, um, I haven't. Um, no, I mean, I, I've, you know, grew up, like, a lot of us, you know, fishing with just casting, you know, spin cast rods. Um little Zebcos and the like, and, and, um, uh, then started fly fishing. Oh, probably 15 years ago, maybe started, uh, casting a fly rod. And, um, uh, I'm not a, um, I'm not a trophy kind of guy. I just like catching cool fish in neat places and, um, fly fishing kind of allows you to do that. I mean, one of the, you know, my favorite, um, you know, my favorite experiences was hiking up into the mountains in Colorado and, and catching a trout there on the fly rod by myself, um, you know, in a, in a stream that was maybe two and a half feet across. And, and it was a little bitty trout, you know, it was a little bitty fish. Doesn't matter. I'll never forget it. You know, I caught uh, fish, the Smoky Mountains a few years back with Graham on a in a backpack on my back when he was little, um, <laughs> made him, made him wear, an old pair of safety glasses. So I didn't uh, jab his eye out and, and a hat to keep it off the back of his head. And, you know, we hiked down into the mountains and, and went fly fishing. And, and again, you know, um, 
caught small trout, small uh, 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 brook trout all day long down there and had a blast, but um, the size of the fish didn't matter to me. It was the experience and it was being there and fly fishing really opens that up. I'm, um, you know, fishing in the salt um, is a lot of fun. Uh, it's a long drive from here, but um, it's, it's interesting. People a lot of times, especially in this part of the country, <clears throat> think of fly fishing as trout fishing. And uh, the two are, I, I see where the equivalency comes from, but they're not the same. I mean, you can, yeah. you, can, you can certainly throw spin tackle at trout and you can throw fly tackle at anything you want. As a matter of fact, anybody that's interested, we talked about how to get involved. Anybody that's interested in, uh, if you follow the, um, uh, the Tulsa Fly Fishers Association, the, the Trout Unlimited um, chapter here, they do a really great contest, costs like 35 bucks to enter. It's, it's a fundraiser for the club, uh, but they do a really great contest in the summer uh, where the guy that heads up the contest picks 15 species of fish. Um, and you have to catch those 15 species on a fly in 90 days over the summer. And it does not matter how big they are and it doesn't matter where you caught them as long as they're in Oklahoma. Um, and I think they call it the, I'm going to get the name wrong, but if you search around, you'll find it, uh, the, the Tulsa Fly Fishers page, you'll have information and it'll kick off here at, uh, the end of May. Um, it's a great way to get out and just explore and, and learn a bunch about Oklahoma. There's always some interesting species on there. I guarantee you, you wouldn't have thought you could caught them on, you could catch them on a fly rod, um, half of them and, and, uh. Um, the fate it's all judged through a Facebook group you post pictures of your fish as it goes along and so you know jumping in that Facebook group is a great way to learn fish identification and so there's there's a lot of things to do in the state it's a lot of fun that's awesome um, and I should say for our listeners if you are interested in doing that uh, a great place to start uh, in addition to the Trout Unlimited chapter in Tulsa is fishinok.com that's the website for the Oklahoma Fishing Trail um, that uh, Shane and Kelly followed for this story um Shane, I wanted to kind of finish up uh, asking you a little bit about, you know, you've done so much shooting for us and I know you have a heck of a setup for, and you've, you've done outdoor shooting for national publications and you've done some really cool work. Tell us a little bit about what you take on location kind of when you've got a big shoot and you're going to be out somewhere, uh, maybe a little bit uh, removed from civilization. What, what goes with you? So, um, you know, I shoot a bunch of different stuff. So it kind of depends on what I'm shooting, but like, for bird dog stuff and and for um, fishing, it, it's pretty simple for me. I mean, I, I carry two cameras. Um, they're both uh, Canon flagship Canon cameras. They're both one DX line cameras. Um, uh, I have several of them. So depending on on what I'm doing, I carry uh, different ones maybe. But one um, uh, DX cameras and then um, a long telephoto and a wide telephoto. And occasionally, if I know I'm going to shoot a portrait or something, I might throw, um, or if I'm, uh, sometimes I kind of get stuck in a rut and I'll make myself, I'll force myself to shoot one specific lens. And okay, you're going to shoot all day on a 50 and an 85 or a 35 <laughs> and an 85 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I, I grew up in newspapers and, and worked for newspapers for a long time. And the basic kid is, you know, you and, and two cameras and, you know, one long telephoto, a 7200 usually, and one short uh, wide telephoto or zoom. And um, 
that's a, a 16 to 35 most of the time. Sometimes I'll swap it out for, you know, like a prime 24, but, um, but usually not. Usually that's the kit and um, it's, it's simple. It does exactly what I want. It's all very durable. It weighs a ton. Um, <laughs> big trend right now towards these smaller cameras and um, I can appreciate some of the things about them. Um, but you know, the cameras I use are durable and they weigh a lot for a reason and they're pretty yeah. hard to tear up. Um, if you have just two lenses, um, and two cameras, then you're not swapping lenses back and forth in dusty and dirty environments. You're not running the risk of dropping the lens off the side of the boat, um, those kind of things. And so you just try to keep it simple. And then the other thing is a lot of times, you know, on Cedar Lake, I mean, we were in a canoe. So you don't have a lot of space. You don't have a lot of, you're not going to take a big giant case or a big giant shoulder bag full of gear because um, you don't have a place to put it. Or I won't name names. I think you already know this story, but there's another photographer we work with who once dumped that entire case into the Glover River yeah. on assignment for us. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to have good insurance. Uh, you know, that's Luckily he did and it was all okay, but uh, I, I, will feel, I will feel pretty guilty about that for the entire rest of my life. Yeah. Um, one thing too that you and Megan have in common uh, is that you are both drone pilots now. Yeah. Yeah, so we, that's true. I did. Uh, it's a good. You had, in addition to the fishing and the dogs stories, you had one of my other favorite shots in the issue, which was this opener for our golf piece. Uh, this amazing drone shot from the canyons of Blackjack Ridge. So, um, talk a little bit about about your drone sh about your drone work. Yeah, so I started flying a drone. Um, I don't know, maybe three years ago, four years ago, I, I, um, people are shocked. I didn't fly, um, before then, but I, I kind of, I'm kind of, I'm like 95 years old on the inside. So I don't really like new toys. I don't like newfangled things. Um, and so, um, I tend to put that stuff off, um, until, it kind of settles out a little bit. Um, so like I didn't, you know, I didn't, I don't want to do things that are trendy and I want to use things for the right reason. And so that's when I got into drone work um, three or four years ago when I started seeing, okay, like I can, you know, I, I can see a use for this or a use for that. Until then I shot a lot of aerial stuff, but we always rented helicopters. Um, and I still rent a helicopter. Sometimes I still fly out of a helicopter. Um, they're very different uses. Um, literally, legally, uh, you cannot fly a helicopter where a drone can fly, and you can't fly a drone where a helicopter fly can fly. Typically, that seems wise. Uh, so they're they're different tools, um, but it's a tool that when you need it, there's not really anything that can replace it. And there's a lot of, you know, the cover is a drone shot. Um, I think you guys ran two or three golf photos that are drone shots. I think the yeah. Southern Hills photo that you ran was a drone shot as well. Um, they're good for golf courses, right? Cause you need that long view. Yeah, they are nice for golf courses. I have a bunch of, a uh, handful of commercial clients that do golf course work. And so I shoot for them and, um, uh, and have shot some editorial for golf. Um, you know, the, the photo um, uh, looking down on Kelly uh, in the kayak um, looking straight down on him casting to the bank is one of yeah. my favorites. Um, and, and a lot of those were shot with, um, with drone, but if you, 
you know, like everything else, it's a, it's a single tool for a single job. If you if you went and shot this entire thing on a drone, you could make a lot of really beautiful pictures, but you wouldn't have the whole picture, right? You wouldn't have those details that you have. You wouldn't have those um, those portraits that you have, that kind of stuff. And and so um, it's a tool. I love it. Uh, I use it when I need to. And when I don't, I don't even, um, well, you know, perfect example. I didn't even remember. Um, I didn't even remember to mention it when we talked about kit because it's only <laughs> a tool that I pick up when I need. It's not yeah. with, um, it's not with me all the time. Yeah. Megan, is this, I think this is our first drone shot to ever appear on a cover. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. I think, I I think we've Copy the off. 21st century now. Yeah, I should also say that they, um, I also waited to get into flying a drone until, a, a, you know, everything at its heart is a camera, right? So until there was a drone that I thought um, would do what I wanted as a camera, um, I kind of blew them off because the quality was not there and I knew yeah. it would frustrate me to be able to make those pictures. Um, and then a few years back, they came out with a drone that I think really prioritized um, stills in some ways, which um, is primarily what I shoot. I shoot some video, um, but I, I really am a, am a still photographer at heart. And so when that camera came out, when that drone came out uh, with that particular camera, I thought, okay, that's, that's one that, um, that I could get behind. Before that, to, to really have a decent still image out of a drone, you, you basically had to fly up. A, a drone big enough to fly a small still camera mm -hmm. uh, just strapped to it and it it yeah. wasn't um they were and there are those there's the ones where you literally take your slr and your dslr and you stick it in the drone and fasten it in there and then it takes off yeah yeah, yeah. that's scary it frightens yeah. the crap out of me it really does <laughs> well they're just not they're just not portable like the one that i have you know, the one that I have, I can fold up and stick in a backpack and, and it's still, you know, as you can see from the cover of the, of the magazine, it makes uh, really nice pictures. Really nice pictures. Um, readers, you got to pick up this issue. It's, it's on newsstands now. Uh, subscribe, oklahomatoday.com slash subscribe. See all of Shane's awesome work. Shane Bevel, I think we should do another outside issue again next year. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm, what, I'm do you, what do you think, Megan? You think we should do another one next year? Yeah, I, I want to. I want to know what ideas Shane has. I do too. I can't wait to find out. Shane Bevel, thank you so much. Uh, ShaneBevelPhotography.com, is that your website? Uh, ShaneBevel.com. ShaneBevel.com, B-E-V-E-L. Uh, if, if you ever need uh, photo services, may I humbly suggest listeners that you reach out to Shane because he's, he's, he's one of the best that's out there and we're so excited to work with you. Shane, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. He's a nice guy. We had so much fun going up there and watching him shoot those dogs. No, I hate to say that, shoot those dogs. Photograph those dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been very interesting it, if he shot them. I, yeah. Photograph. Horrifying. I know. I said something one time to Lori, our photographer. <laughs> that would have been an about, unforgettable day. <laughs> like, oh, you're going there to shoot children, right? And she goes, to photograph children. <laughs> yes. It's like, sorry. Yes. We have to be careful. We do. Yes. Yeah. But he, it, Shane's great, and it's such a good uh, issue. And if you haven't picked it up yet, you should, because it's a good one. It is. It's so frustrating reading that, because he's an amazing photographer. Mm -hmm. And then to come out and also just be so talented as a writer, it's really... I know. Yeah, um, I wanted him, honestly, like, he... The way that came about, he had an Instagram post about, of all things, his daughter 
<laughs> kicking his son in the chest while they were all kind of hanging out on the bed like one Saturday morning. Uh, and it was so well written that I was blown away. And I was like, well, you got to write something. I was like, I don't want you to write about kids hurting each other, <laughs> but maybe dogs. And he did. He did a great job. But That's maybe dogs hurting each other. <laughs> uh, and you shot them, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. It is now time for us to once again plumb the depths of TravelOK.com's calendar for our weekly pod events. First up this week is Ben. Well, as you all know, I'm a big music fan. Uh, I could sit and listen to music for hours. And sure, some song lyrics are catchy and trite, but some of them are like poetry, speaking universal truths that resonate in my very soul. For example, to quote one of my favorite tunes from the great, the great Verna Hills, the wheels on the bus go round and round. Wow, so true. So true. Wheels do go round. It's like they were made for it. And you'll be hard-pressed to find wheels going round any faster than at the Wheeler Criterium <laughs> bike race every Tuesday night now through May 24th in Oklahoma City's Wheeler District. Guys, this place loves wheels. If the name and giant on-site Ferris wheel weren't enough to convince you of that fact, the epic family fun of the Wheeler Criterium races should. And yes, that's criterium, pronounced cry-tier-e-um, not uh, cry-tier-e-un. Uh, we're not about to watch Seven Samurai. <laughs> Truth be told, sitting down with your kids and watching these racers zip through the Wheeler neighborhood is better than any movie. And uh, if you think you're up to the challenge of actually entering the race, uh, probably a lot more healthy, too. As a music fan, I can tell you you're going to need to use your head Shoulders, knees, and toes if you want to win this one. For more information uh, and to find a link to register uh, for the race, visit facebook.com slash wheelercrit, C-R-I-T. Wow. <laughs> wheels. Hey, mm -hmm. Do you think there are more wheels or doors in the world? Oh, wow. Uh, That's just something to ponder. I don't think that question has an answer. Jeez. Oh, yeah, I... All right. Uh, Nathan, while, while we're Doors. pondering that, why don't you read us <laughs> your event? Well, unless this is your very first or second time listening to our podcast, you'll actually know about this one already, but I think that it deserves to be reiterated. Uh, you'll re Anyway, if you've listened to the podcast, you will remember my interview with Sean and Lynn Taylor Corbett, who are the writers, choreography, choreographer, and director of Distant Thunder, presented by Lyric Theater of Oklahoma and premiering this week at the First, Muse first Americans Museum in Oklahoma City. This world premiere musical was delayed due to COVID, but it's ready to roll now. And tickets, see what I did there? Ready to roll, Thunder. Uh, and tickets are on sale, but they're going fast. Distant Thunder tells the story of Daryl Waters, a young Blackfeet attorney who returns to his childhood home in Montana to broker a deal between his tribe and an energy company. And if you're curious for a sample before you commit to a full musical meal, you can log on to lyrictheaterokc.com and watch this great video of the cast singing a song from the musical, the song's called Hold On, over Zoom. It'll make you believe in musical theater, family, love, and the power of virtual meetings. Tickets to Distant Thunder start at $50, and each ticket is good for a $7 discount on admission to the First Americans Museum. So get there early, have a nice pre-show dinner at the 39 restaurant, tour this amazing world-class facility, and then be prepare to be dazzled as theater history is made right here in Oklahoma. For more information, call 
594-2100 or visit Lyric Theater OKC and that's theater with an R-E lyrictheateroKC.com Alright uh, Megan what's your event this week? What is your event Megan? They say all roads lead to Rome but a few of them lead to Enid too and that's as good a reason as any to check out the Red Brick Road Food Truck and Art Festival on March 26th and 27th in the city's downtown area. It's paved with red bricks, which is what gives the festival its name. Musicians and talented visual artists representing a variety of mediums will be on hand, but as is usually the case with festivals, most of the action will be taking place wherever the food and beer is. <laughs> so come hungry and sober so that you can push yourself to the max. Buy an entrance wristband, $3 for one day, uh, $5 for two, and set course for this northwestern bastion of culture. Call 580-402-6732 or visit enidevents.com for more information. That sounds like fun. So they named it after the red bricks. I am genius. This is what I decided because I was looking at pictures and the bricks were red in that section of downtown. So I was like, that must be why they call it that. Also how you know you no weren't looking at a picture of the Emerald City. Yes, no one. There was no official comment from anyone on That actually festival. does sound like fun, though. Oh, I yeah. love festivals like that. I think they're a great time. I, I like to go places and eat stuff. I am, I am happy that the good folks of Enid have finally acknowledged that the reason many people go to festivals is for food and just put that right up front. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, the art... A very necessary component because what are you gonna do after you've loaded up with a bunch of like yeah. corn between dogs eatings? Stuff? I gotta be, walk around yeah. and look yeah. at some yeah. art. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I'm gonna get a piece of that fried cheesecake in a minute, but I gotta walk around a little bit. Most okay. of us yeah. can't see some pointillism. And sometimes original art, listeners we... can't see this, but sometimes you get a really nice piece of art like this one I have hanging over here that I got at the Watonga Wine and Cheese Festival in 2014. So you know, it's all it, everything. I'm just saying everything about a festival like that is really fun. Yeah, nothing wrong. With yeah, that. Greg, what's your event? Oh, boy, guys. It is hard to believe that Marchy is more than halfway over. Marchy? Uh-huh. Okay. February flew by, but Marchy seems to be going even faster, so it's a little surprised that it's already time for Marchy and Okarchy. Wait, uh, it couldn't just be March and Okarchy, could it, right? They, they wouldn't just call it March in Okarchy. Lousy smart weather. <laughs> Regardless, on March 26, athletes will converge on Okarchi Town Park for a duathlon, including two 5K races. Because when's, why, when, when is one 5K enough? Let me tell you something. Every time I've ever run a 5K race, I've gotten to the end of it and thought, I could do that again. Really? No. No, <laughs> not once. How many miles is 5K? It's like 3.1, mm-hmm. 3.2. Now, like let me ask you this. After your first 5K race, when you're raring to go, have mm-hmm. you ever thought, you know what I should do is hop on a bicycle and take a 15.6-mile bike ride? <laughs> LOL, no. Oh, okay. Well, no. then I don't know if you would love this duathlon because that's I'll what it watch. is. It's two 5K races with a 15.6-mile bike race I'll shoved stand in there, the middle. I'll get me a bag of Funyuns and Why? stand there by the road and be like, y'all looking good, doing fine. Yeah, I just yeah. don't understand you know what? Understand. Power to a man sound like that's if, yeah, no, yeah. That's that's I'll cheer you on. Cool. I am yeah. all the more confused. I think because it's awesome. Do you know who's putting on this event? Who? Triathlons of Oklahoma City. It does sound pretty cool though. I mean it does. I wish I honestly I wish that I was athletic enough to do a fifteen mile bike ride followed 
following a 5K, but no. I am athletic enough to my body will die. die. Yeah, <laughs> to buy a full so seriously fried chicken at Aishan's <laughs> and take it out there and watch people and just, just stand there with a drumstick. Oh my god! Can you grease all over your face? Yeah, handing out wings as people drive. <laughs> Run past, Ooh. right past the Gatorade. That's right. Oh my gosh! Uh, if you would like to take part or, or spectate, you can visit tryokc.club. That's T-R-I-O-K-C.C-L-U-B to learn more. Uh, well, and the sound of Shane's... Is our podcast over? <laughs> the sound of Shane's dog tearing up yet another indestructible toy means the Oklahoma Today podcast is coming to a close. Join us again next week, or if you can't get enough, head to oklahomatoday.com and pick up our latest issue on newsstands right now. Send any feedback to OKTPod at travelok.com, and we will talk to you again next week. The Oklahoma Today podcast is a production of Oklahoma Today magazine and the Oklahoma Tourism and Recreation Department. Your hosts are Oklahoma Today editors Nathan Gunner, Greg Elwell, Carly Ibarra, Megan Rossman, and Ben Lucian. Theme song editing and production help by Oklahoma Today's production manager, Bridget Sloan. For more information, visit oklahomatoday.com. Goodbye.